Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ was born that we might have peace with God. Isaiah 9, 6 calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. This is one of the many reasons we celebrate Christmas. This is why we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come. This is why Christmas is not good advice for a struggling world. Rather, Christmas is good news for sinful people. This uh, past summer, my wife and I, we drove together more than any other time in our lives. And it was awesome. We had a great time together. We drove to Michigan together. We drove to Arkansas, to Colorado. We drove all over the place. And as we drove together for many, many hours, I learned that my lovely bride had dozens and dozens and dozens of driving tips for me. Just all kinds of driving tips. Tips like drive faster and make sure you don't get pulled over by the cops. You know, stuff like that. But if you open your eyes, you'll see that our world is filled with advice. Filled with tips for life. But our world is not filled with good news. Christmas is good news. It is good news of great joy for all people. And this morning, the question I would like to consider is the question, what is peace? If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he, come, and he came into the world that we might have peace with God, then what is peace? Well, in the scriptures, we see that the word peace has four components to it. Number one, component number one, peace is the absence of conflict with each other. What is peace? Peace is the absence of conflict with each other. Our world overflows with conflict. It's filled with conflict. This week I read two letters uh, from kids that they wrote these letters to Santa. And uh, here, here are the letters. Uh, Dear Santa Claus, I don't think our baby brother should have any presents this year. He is hurting us and he said that you are trash. So think about giving him presents from a nice boy, Thomas. And so here we see uh, at the very early stages of life, we see conflict, brother against brother. One brother sabotaging the Christmas gifts of the other brother. Or we see this Christmas letter, Dear Santa, you better bring my pony this year or there will be consequences. So, so this, is, this is a good old threat. So there's conflict with Santa. Uh, you owe me Santa. And we see that relational conflict is not only something we learn. We do learn conflict from other people. But it's not only that we learn conflict from other people. It's something in us. It's something that we are born with. And it doesn't decrease over time. Conflict escalates. And it escalates all the way to the point of war. The context of Isaiah 9 is war. I've been studying Isaiah 8 and 9 all week. And what we see is that 2,700 years ago, the Assyrian army was coming down from the north to crush Israel. Israel knew this was about ready to happen and they couldn't do anything to stop it. Uh, they were waiting for the Assyrian army to come and destroy them. Isaiah 8.22 says, They will look towards the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. War has been part of human history from the very beginning because there is war in our hearts. The United Nations was established October 24th, uh, 1945. It was, it was formed right after World War II with a very clear goal, a very good goal. And here's the goal, promoting international cooperation and maintaining peace and security among nations. That's a wonderful goal, to promote cooperation, 
to maintain peace and security in the world. In New York City, right outside the UN building, you will find this very famous statue. Here's a picture of the statue. It's a statue of a man hammering his sword and turning it into a plow. Uh, this statue captures the hope of the UN. You see this inscription right next to the statue, which says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is from the book of Isaiah. This is the hope of the UN, no more war. Let's eliminate war, let's promote peace. But since the UN began, there has not been one year in the world where there hasn't been war. Many scholars believe, historians believe, that war has been part of human history from the very beginning. There hasn't been one year in the history of the world, at least recorded human history, where there has not been war. Today we have Russia and Ukraine, Hamas against Israel. My point is not to say that the UN has failed. Rather, it is to say that our best effort, humanity's best effort at peace, cannot establish peace. We cannot establish any type of enduring peace in and of ourselves. Nation will rise up against nation for war. There's also conflict within a country. So just, just because you have a country doesn't mean there's no conflict within the country. We know there's much conflict in our country today. There's conflict within cities, and there's conflict within families. This is part of what makes family Christmas gatherings, gatherings so spicy, is that there's family conflict. There, there are elements, there, there are these these relationships who have been fractured because of sin. We all know that relational conflict is part of the human experience and it can be devastating. Isaiah chapter nine looks forward to the day when the Prince of Peace completes his work, completes his work. and when his work is accomplished, there will be wholeness in relationships, peace among people. Isaiah nine four says, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders and the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. I mean, can you imagine a world filled with healthy, loving, trusting relationships? I mean, what a world that would be like. No relational barriers, no more lies. Can you imagine a world where people don't lie to each other? No oppression, no slavery, no hiding from other people, no hiding from ourselves, no betrayal, only love. What a world that would be. Isaiah longed for that day when oppression would cease, when war would cease. I believe the entire world longs for that day. And brothers and sisters, because of the work of Jesus Christ, one day peace will be our reality. There's coming a day where there will be peace in the world. No more relational conflict. Only peace, only whole, trusting, loving relationships with other people. So component number one is that peace is the absence of conflict with each other. Component number two is that peace is the absence of conflict with creation. Peace is the absence of conflict with creation. Someone posted a picture while on the Pacific Ocean as a storm was brewing. So they, they went out on a boat, the storm starts to brew. Here's a picture of the ocean. I mean, and I saw this picture and I thought, beautiful. Look at that water, that's gorgeous. And I thought, terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. Get me off the boat. Get me on dry land. I do not want to be on the ocean when there is a storm brewing. The world that God created is beautiful. It's gorgeous. It'll take your breath away. But we do not have peace with creation. The ocean is terrifying. 
Storms can be terrifying. Hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes are terrifying. We are not even at peace with the sun. We're not at peace with the sun. I went for a run yesterday, and uh, I'm running, and I see this guy. He's going to run past me. He's probably 25 yards in front of me, running towards me. And I notice there's something on his face. So it's December 23rd yesterday. It's like 1 p.m., beautiful day, 50 degrees or whatever it was. And I'm running, and I see something on his face. And as he gets closer, I'm like, what's on his face? What's on his face? And then he passes me, and I say, I said to myself, he has sunscreen all over his face. He's, he covered his face with sunscreen. So I said, hey, buddy, it's December 23rd. You don't need that. And I didn't say that, but that's what I thought to myself. I thought, I thought man, it's December 23rd. Why do you have sunscreen on right now? And then about a minute later, I thought, do I need sunscreen? Like, should I, have, should I be wearing sunscreen right now on December 23rd at 1 p.m.? And see, eventually, the sun will get all of us. If you live long enough, the sun will produce a lot of problems with us. And then you have the animal kingdom. There are millions of creatures that can kill us and eat us in the world that we live. We're not at peace. We're not at peace in the world. We're not even at peace with our own bodies. Uh, eventually, our bodies are going to wear out. We face disease, cancer, tumors, diabetes, heart attacks, strokes, and the list goes on and on. Our, bar- our bodies are breaking down. And Isaiah looked forward to the day where we would be at peace with creation. When the Bible speaks of peace, it speaks of peace with creation. Isaiah eleven six, The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, I love this, and a child will lead them. A child will lead them. In the new heavens and the new earth, all the glory, we will see all the glory of creation and there will be no danger. No threat of death or disease. We will see all the beauty of creation and yet not, not face any type of difficulty, any type of physical challenges. This is what the, Bible's, the Bible calls peace. We will be at peace with creation. I mean, won't, won't it be a wonderful thing when our bodies don't break down? I mean, our bodies break down all the time. Uh, we, we constantly get injured. We constantly feel sick. But there's coming a day where, when our bodies will be like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect bodies forevermore. Component number three of peace. Peace is the absence of conflict within us. Peace is the absence of conflict within us. John 24, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart, do not let your heart be troubled or fearful. It's easy to imagine a world where everything on the outside is fine, it's good. You know, all is calm. We have a job, we have friends, we have family, we're healthy, we're safe, we don't have any pressing needs right in front of us. Life is pretty good, and yet, at the same time, there's a raging storm inside of us. At the same time, we're not at peace within ourselves. I talk to people all the time, and they tell me this all the time. They say, Dan, I can't sit in silence for more than five minutes. I can't sit and be silent for more than five minutes. And I say, why is that? It's because thoughts will come into their head. So they have to stay occupied all the time. They have to stay distracted all the time. Some people, the more time they have alone, the more they go mad. They go crazy. So life can be good on the outside, but on the inside, a storm can still rage. We can experience anxiety, grief, doubt, regret, guilt. There are so many negative emotions, and this conflict has a profound impact on our entire being. 
because we live from the inside out. We live from the inside out. So what happens on the inside of us is more important than what happens on the outside of us. And so when the Bible speaks about peace, it looks forward to the day when there's no more, there's no more strife internally. There's no more conflict within our souls. And this happens, we get a taste of this peace when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah, two verse, or Isaiah 9 verse 2 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I love that phrase, that idea that people walking in darkness. It's not talking about literal darkness. It's talking about people living in darkness where they can't see what they're tripping over. They don't see what the purpose of life is. They don't even see themselves accurately. Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. See, meeting Christ, coming into a saving relationship with Christ, moves us from the darkest gloom to the brightest light. It is the light of Christ which brings joy and peace to the world. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who gives peace to our troubled hearts. Only Christ can light up the soul. Only Christ can give us the light that we all search for. So many people, they live by the light of money. They live by the light of fame. They live by the light of pleasure. They live by the the light of status in the world. And we think to ourselves, man, if I can just get what I want in this life, then I will have inner peace. But it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. We are designed by God, created in the image of God for God, that we live, we live in light of his glory. It is, the, it is the light of his glory that gives us light. And see, meeting Christ, this description of meeting Christ is so wonderful. It's like you're walking in darkness, then all of a sudden, boom, here's Christ. The lights turn on. You see who you are. You see who God is. You see what life is all about. Now, to be clear, becoming a Christian does not remove all of your problems, it doesn't take away all of your problems, but it does give us the peace of Christ. John 16, 33. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. That's a promise. In the world, you have tribulation. In the world, you will have difficulty. But take courage, I have overcome the world. There is coming a day when, when there will be no more conflict within our souls. No more doubts, no more shame, no more guilt, no more hatred, no more anxiety, no more sorrow, no more sadness. There's coming a day when our faith will become sight. And this will happen when we see the Prince of Peace with our own eyes. Our future, brothers and sisters, is fullness of joy forevermore in the presence of Christ. This is what the Bible calls peace. No more sorrow, no more sadness, no more fear, no more anxiety. Rather, internal peace. Component number four is that peace is the absence of conflict with God. Peace is the absence of conflict with God. If you were to ask Isaiah, hey Isaiah, why don't we have peace now? I mean, if God is the God of peace, and he created the universe, and we're created in the image of God, then why don't we have peace now? I think Isaiah would say something like this. Isaiah 48, 22. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. 
There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, peace with God was lost. It was gone. The human race, first two human beings, we lost our peace with God in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve wanted to be God. They wanted to decide what is right and what is wrong. They looked at the word of God and they said, well, we will decide whether or not God is telling the truth. And when they disobeyed God, they chose war with God. When they sinned, sin, when sin entered the world, everything fell apart. In the Garden of Eden, we lost our peace with creation. Romans chapter 8 says that when sin entered the world, creation was subjected to futility. So that now creation, it's glorious, it's beautiful, but it's under the curse of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, we lost our peace with ourselves. Adam and Eve lost their peace with themselves. Remember the first consequence of sin in the garden? That Adam and Eve went from naked and unashamed to now they're hiding from themselves. They became immediately aware of their nakedness. And they began to hide. They, be, they began to hide from themselves and from each other. When Adam and Eve sinned, they lost their peace with each other. When God asked Adam and Eve to give an account for their behavior, God says to Adam, Adam, did you eat from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? He should have just said yes, but he didn't say that. He said, he said God, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit and I ate. So if you're looking for anyone to die, kill her. That's what he's saying. Kill her. The woman you gave to be with me, kill her. He's blaming her and he's blaming God. So peace was gone, and for thousands of years, humanity has been at war up to this present day. War with each other, war with ourselves, war with creation, because we are at war with God. This is our natural condition apart from the grace of God. And so what is the solution? If you ask Isaiah, Isaiah, what is the solution? I think people want peace. People want relational wholeness. People People don't like being anxious. People don't like being terrified. I mean, what is the solution? What is, what is the path to peace? Well, this is what Isaiah says in chapter 9, verse 4. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. He's saying there's coming a day. No more boots for battle. No more weapons. They'll, they'll be gone. The oppressive yoke has been broken. Why? For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord's armies will accomplish this. So Isaiah says the solution is a child. One who would come into the world. Verse six, for a child will be born for us. That we need this child. Now who is this child? He says a son will be given to us. That this child who will be born is the son of God. The second person of the Trinity who became a man for us. Born of a virgin, born under the law to redeem those under the law. This child will bring peace 
in the world. Now, how will he do this? The Son of God, Jesus Christ, born for us. How will he accomplish peace for a world that's at conflict, that's in conflict? How will he do this? Isaiah 53, verse 4. Yet he himself, this is the Prince of Peace, yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. Verse 5. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Remember, Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Jesus ever lived and Isaiah saw the day when the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, would purchase our peace by his blood. It says that he was pierced not for his rebellion but for ours. Our our deepest, most fundamental problem as human beings is that we don't know God. We have rebelled against our creator And that sin, our sin, has put a barrier between God and man. See, my sin, our sin, demands death. And so Jesus Christ came into the world and he bore our sin. He bore our rebellion. It says punishment for our peace was on him. And so when Christ was lifted up on the cross, what's happening on the cross is that Jesus was paying the price for peace with God. Why are we not at peace with God? Why are we not at peace with each other? Why are we not at peace with ourselves? Why are we not at peace with creation? Is it God's fault? No. It's because we have rebelled against God. We have rebelled against our creator. And so Christ came that he might bear our guilt. The punishment for our peace was the death of the Son of God. The blood of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace. Now, how did Jesus Christ make peace? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus Christ came into the world, the Prince of Peace came into the world, that we might have peace with God. Jesus is our peace. The night that Jesus was born, we see the heavenly birth announcement in Luke chapter 2. It says, suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, so here's the message from heaven, to the shepherds, the night Jesus was born, glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. Christ came that we might have peace with God, and to become a Christian is to taste that peace now. To become a Christian means that we are at peace with God, and we can begin to experience peace of Christ in our life. To be a Christian is to know, to to get a taste of the peace from Philippians chapter 4, which transcends our understanding. It's to taste the fruit of the Spirit. One of those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Love, joy, peace. It is the fruit of God's Spirit in us. And there is coming a day when peace will be restored forever. If you're a Christian, there's coming a day when we will live under the reign of Christ in the new heavens and the new earth where there is nothing but peace, where righteousness dwells. And so let me ask you this morning, are you at peace with God? 
Are you at peace with God? There's only one way to be at peace with God, and that is by faith alone in Christ alone. It is by faith alone in Christ alone. If you come to a Christmas service, that, that doesn't mean you're at peace with God. If you say you believe in God, that doesn't mean that you're at peace with God. If you try to be a good person, that will never make you right with God. There is nothing that we can do as human beings to make ourselves right with God. There's nothing that we can do. That is why Christ came. He came that we might have peace with God. Let me ask you, when you think about the manger, go back 2,000 years ago, the night when Christ was born, one of the signs that this was the Son of God is that they wrapped him tightly and laid him in a manger. So try to go back 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Here's Jesus wrapped tightly in the manger. Now you're looking at Jesus in the manger. What do you see? What do you see? What did Herod see? Herod saw a threat to his reign. He said, this is, this is a, someone who's going to try to take over my kingdom, and so we need to get rid of him. And Herod tried to kill him. Almost everyone in that part of the world, they thought, this is just another peasant who was born. Not a big deal. This is just a, another peasant child born, laid in a manger. Not a big deal at all. But what do you see when you think about Christ laying in the manger? I was studying the wise men this week from Matthew chapter 2. And the wise men, they were educated and wealthy men from one of the most prominent cities in the ancient world. They were from Babylon. And they traveled 900 miles. And that is a long way. It would have taken them three or four months to travel 900 miles to find a child born of a teenage peasant girl. And when they found him, you got to see their response. When, when these wise men from the east, from Babylon to Bethlehem, when they found him, you got to see their response. Matthew 2, 10. When they saw the, sto- the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, what would make a person travel 900 miles on foot to fall on their knees and worship a baby? Why would, why would anyone do that? See, I think our culture right now is totally okay with Jesus as a great example. We love that idea. Jesus, he's a great example. Jesus is a great leader. We should learn how to lead people by Jesus. Jesus was a great teacher, a great moral teacher. He, he, he laid out a wonderful ethical code for us to follow. We're okay w- with all of that. But see, if Jesus is just a teacher, just a leader, just an example, that will not make your knee bend. You will not bow to him. But see, the wise men, they bowed and they worshiped. Why? Because they believed that this child with Mary, they believed that this child was the child that Isaiah promised. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. They said, this is him. This is him. See, to become a Christian is to bow. 
To become a Christian is to bow and worship Christ as King, as God, as Lord, as Messiah. To, to become a Christian is to see that Jesus Christ, he's more than just another peasant boy born. He's more than that. He's God in the flesh who was born for us. To be a Christian is, is to look to his life, to see that his life was for us. His birth was for us. His death was for us. His resurrection was for us. And it is to trust in him alone for your salvation. And so I, I will ask you again, are you at peace with God? Do you know Christ as Lord, as Savior, as King, as God? Do you know him? And if you don't know Christ today, I would urge you to bow your knee, just like the wise men, to bow your knee and worship him as King. To acknowledge him as God, as Savior, as Lord. And if you do know him, if you, if many of us here this morning were Christians. We've been following Christ for some period of time and I would encourage you to not let this Christmas season slip by you without considering what the scriptures teach without thinking about who Christ is that he came and was born for us that we might have peace with God to be a Christian is to be at peace with God to be a Christian is to have the hope of peace forever and the presence of God let's go ahead and pray father we thank you for what you have done for us we thank